How We Got Here, Part 9. Where do we go from here? We've gone through a lot of really grim history in this series. Well, one thing is clear. The solution is not to go back into the past. Now, we've been hinting at this in this series, but that golden age of welfare capitalism, well, it was never for everyone. In the decades after World War II, the benefits were going mainly to white people. It was designed that way. The protections in the New Deal excluded jobs where a lot of black Americans and immigrants were employed, specifically farm work and domestic work. Domestic workers are still excluded from basic employee benefits and protections. Here's one concrete example of how exclusionary welfare capitalism was. After World War II, many black soldiers returning home were denied the benefits of the GI Bill, which was intended to help veterans find work, housing, and an education. And when the government was spending that money to create jobs and grow the economy, it often did so at the expense of black families, whether it was segregated schools, racist housing policies, or infrastructure that ignored, or in some cases even destroyed, black neighborhoods. So yeah, wherever we go from here, it has to be somewhere different. And sure, there are some policy changes and regulations that would help immediately. People need better health care, retirement, paid time off. They need higher pay and stronger unions. But that would just be a start. So much damage has been done to people's lives and to the fabric of the society, which means addressing that deeper pain has to be part of the solution. Part of the solution has to be repairing that fabric. And that means addressing both economic injustice and racial injustice. During the height of the pandemic, I called up Joe Trotter, a professor of history and social justice at Carnegie Mellon University. He's been thinking about systemic oppression for a long time. We talked about what the fight for racial and economic justice looked like in the 1950s and 60s. It wasn't pretty. As a young man, I was living in Evanston, Illinois, going to school at a junior college when Martin Luther King came to Chicago for the first time and staged a march on the west side of Chicago. And I remember him being hit with bricks. Joe has seen a lot of moments for potential change, and he's been let down a lot of times before. But he says you have to remember that the ways of our country are not set in stone. Our institutions are not given. I mean, they are always constructed. And they are always a product of decisions made and power deployed. Joe says he sees some things right now that are giving him hope. And he believes there is real power for change if people understand how the fight for racial justice for black and brown people can lead to economic justice for all Americans. That struggle is very much tied up with the struggle for economic justice. Uh, Then I do think uh, black people can be seen as a kind of vanguard uh, for opening America up uh, and really undercutting uh, this widening gap in wealth and the mistreatment of people, you know, at the bottom of the social structure. We've seen too much of the past to really uh, totally abandon ourselves to the idea that so much will happen uh, so quickly. But that is my hope, that, that we seize this moment and do something that is significant. Still, right now, it's really hard to feel like things can get better. Sometimes when I'm really low, I start thinking that, you know what? Maybe Milton Friedman was right. 
Not that all humans are by nature greedy, but that it's just easier to go that way, to give into it. And that's way too hard to try and organize and create equal and just systems. And maybe we're better off with a free-for-all, with shareholder capitalism. And as we've seen, there's a lot of individualism and greed in this country. And it can be easy to start feeling like that's all there is. But there have also been people fighting for generations to try and redistribute power and wealth. People who are doing that work right now. There's this speech that Reverend Dr. William Barber gave in 2016 about just this idea. He was speaking at the Institute for New Economic Thinking Conference on Race and Economics. And he pointed out that Americans have made real moral change, even as others try to prevent it. In this moment, we must recognize that economic justice also is a memory issue. You know, we have to have the right memory because America has this strange memory selective amnesia you know let us not forget that desegregation public school medicaid medicare expanded social security economic opportunity war on poverty the civil rights act the voting rights act minimum wage all of those things grew from the same moral impetus and the war on poverty did not fail it was undermined let us have the memory to remember the days when a president would go and talk about dealing with the poor as a moral issue, not as a democratic issue or a Republican issue. The title of this speech is The Moral Challenge to Economics. At the beginning, Barbara references how Martin Luther King Jr. connected the struggle for racial justice to the struggle for economic justice. He talks about how 50 years ago, Dr. King was advocating and fighting for radical systemic change, a world that isn't dominated by oppression and greed. And as Barbara points out, a big source of that oppression is the way we do capitalism. So we're going to end this series here on this thought from Reverend Barber. Our refusal to have an economic theory that looks and sees that we are all integrated and we all really need each other. Instead, one of the great violence, violent, violent things we do in this culture is that of we, cre- we, co- we engage in attention violence against the poor, both parties and many people. The question becomes, how can the nation's wealth ultimately be shifted institutionally to benefit the vast majority of people? because we cannot live in isolation. Went on to say, for years we were taught that what was good for Wall Street was good for your street and our street, but that no longer holds true. We can't live in isolation. As Dr. King said in that book, Why Can't We Wait? He then wrote a sermon called, We're on the same, we're all in the same boat now. Martin Luther King 50 years ago said, when you ignore the poor, the whole system will collapse. Thanks to everyone who helped make this series possible. Alan, Chris, it was an incredible experience to make this with both of you. I can't thank you two enough for for getting on board and and doing this. I want to give special thanks to the Bay Team, Erica Cruz Guevara and Devin Katayama. Special thanks to Jessica Placek, Tina Antolini, Ben Harnett, Cricket Lyman, Tanya Peschel, Vina Dubal, Patty Hirsch, Catherine Powell, and Gifford Hartman. 
And thanks to Erica Kelly, Tanya Mosley, and Rachel Myro for editing my original radio stories that you heard throughout the series. Additional sound pieces were produced by The World According to Sound. Howard Burkus did that interview with the coal miner, Mackie Branham Jr. And the Stud Circle interview with air traffic controller Jim Polly. It comes from the WFMT Radio Archives. How we got here is made by Alan Monticilio, Chris Hoff, and Sam Harnett.